Welcome to Darkly Lit, a monthly podcast where we delve into the insane asylum of the literary mind. I am your host, Kayla Berry. And I am Sade, host of The Witching Hour. I'm David, and Einstein was wrong. I'm the speed of light, cracking through shivery atoms, and God, the sky swirls and withers like a melting rainbow. Uh, so, if you haven't guessed by David's little outbreak there... He we hasn't just... taken his meds yet. Exactly. David, you should... We need... No room! No room! No room! No. <laughs> we need to take him back to Arkham. <laughs> but that's just the thing, Kayla. You're already in Arkham. So we've just read Arkham Asylum, a serious house on serious earth by Grant Morse. And uh, this is our final graphic novel out of our trio of graphic novels. Took us a long time to get to all all three of them. But yeah, we're finally here. So what'd you guys think? We're just gonna we're gonna get it right off the bat. Just oh, what do you think? Right off the bat. Well, I I was looking forward right to this. Right off the bat, I, edit. Ha ha ha. Cut. Yeah. I guess, okay, why don't, maybe we should start with the uh, summary. David, why don't you give a summary? Oh, I have to summarize. That's right. Okay. <laughs> Trying to summarize this one is very difficult because uh, um, I'll say it right off the bat. This is a very symbolic sur- and surreal Batman story, but it is a Batman story. The best way I can sum it up is um, we jump between two different stories throughout the graphic novel. The first one we get is in the past, where we get the journals of Amadeus Arkham, the man who founded Arkham Asylum, and we learn a bit about his childhood, about how he uh, was traumatized by the mental illness his uh, his single mother or his widowed mother went through, and how he had to deal with it alone, as well as him opening the asylum after his mother commits suicide and uh, bringing his uh, wife and daughter to live there, only to face more tragedy when one of his patients violates and murders them. And we, and we intercut between Arkham's story and a story in the present on April 1st, where uh, Batman is called to Arkham Asylum to deal with a hostage situation. It seems the Joker and many of Arkham's most infamous inmates have broken out, but instead of escaping, they've taken over the asylum and they refuse to let the hostages go until Batman comes into the asylum with them. And thus ensues a spiral of madness and strangeness and surreality and beautiful, beautiful Dave McKean illustrations. Okay, uh, before we delve into that, we should also explain, for those of you who don't know who Batman is... <laughs> oh, come on. The small few of you that don't Everybody know who, knows who Batman I think, is. I think anyone who's probably listening to this knows who Batman is. <laughs> I hope Yeah, so. if you don't know who Batman is, he's a man, and he dresses up as a bat, and he fights crime. That's really... He's, a, he's a superhero. Comics from 1930. Created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, Arkham Asylum is the uh, asylum that the bad guys that Batman fights usually gets thrown into. So. And the Joker is a clown, but he's a scary clown. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this is... <laughs> I think what makes this one different from the other stories we read is this actually comes from a another source material. Like the others, I, well, with the others, it's always been like the others were like original to their to their authors. This is part of a, an established universe. It, yeah, right. Um, but the interesting, I think the interesting thing to me about it is it's such a departure from what Batman kind of was at the time. Mm-hmm. Like this is, I mean, if you look at you look at the cover, you look at like the you look at the illustrations, and you think about the way the story is. This is a psychological horror story with that happens to be use Batman as its framing device, and that's why I love it. It's very cool. It's great to see very surreal, very dark, and very macabre uh, variations of all this stuff we know about Batman. So we don't just get a we don't just get the Joker. We get this crazy nightmarish um kind of like like creepy sexual joker like just the way he talks to people and he's like really pushy and it's like it well i mean we'll get into that very handsy very very handsy handsy. (laughs) loosen up tight ass he slapped batman's ass at one point yeah gracie i know yeah, our dog is very talkative right now. She's got a lot to say. She yes, sure does. Very passionate about Batman. Yeah. What are your guys' history with Batman, like, uh, growing up before I, before we delve into this a little bit more, just to get an idea? Uh, well, like many, I grew up watching the animated series, 
Um, and that's probably where my, my biggest love for Batman came. When I got older, I started reading some of the comics. There's a lot of the comics that I haven't read. I have a great love for all the Robins. Do not get me started on Damian Wayne. <laughs> um, Is that why people have been sending you unsolicited dick pics? Yeah. But they're all pictures of Dick Grayson? <laughs> As Nightwing? Um... um then uh, Christian Bale was a fan of Christian Bale, and one day I'll tell the story how I kind of followed him around Disneyland. But, but then obviously he was he played Batman, and I was super stoked for that, and that was cool. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I made a few Jason Todd dolls once too, plush toys. Anyway, nice. That's pre- as as Red Hood or as, as Red Rob? Hood. Yeah, as Red Hood. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. My actually introduction was movies, like. Uh, I was allowed to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was allowed to watch scare. Uh, I was actually allowed to watch a uh, like rated R films and stuff like that as a kid. Strangely enough, so the Batman movies were definitely films that were played in our house. Uh, but from there, I actually that I went from the Batman movies to the um, animated series, mm-hmm. and from there went on to I read a couple of the comics and just uh, all around started to like really enjoyed Batman as a whole especially and the villains are probably the most interesting part mm-hmm. of the Batman can and I'm not gonna lie <laughs> I have a lot well, I, of love for the Batman villains I think I think of all uh, the only I, I've said it before on other shows but I think the only rogues gallery that I think remotely compares to Batman's is maybe Spider-Man's mm-hmm. and even then you I mean I can name off the top of my head I can you know there's Dr. Octopus the Green Goblin uh Scorpion the yeah. Lizard it doesn't the not- Vulture but then you go to Batman oh Batman's easy Penguin Two-Face Scarecrow Joker Harley Quinn Poison Ivy um, Catwoman, Catwoman Clayface, uh, uh, Clay uh, Mister Freeze. The list just goes on. Mad Hatter, um, Crocod- uh, Maxi Zeus, uh, <laughs> Killer Croc. Yeah, Killer Croc. Like the list just goes on and on, guys. And they're all memorable in their own way. Um, and they're all fantastic. And uh, the cool thing is, a good chunk of them are in this one. I mean, I wouldn't surprise me. I, I, I would be shocked if there was a. That the, the the villains didn't take center stage in this one if they didn't because this is about where they live basically Arkham is Arkham is basically their home. The weird part about this comic, I found the back story, the background story behind uh, uh, Doctor Arkham, much more fascinating than I did the actual Batman story. I have to agree. Uh, real quick, I will say that much like everybody else here, my introduction to Batman was through the animated series. Oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. The animated series was incredibly formative. It's still, I think it still holds up as one of the best, inter- one of my personal favorite interpretations of Batman and that Batman universe. Um, it was only later that I kind of got exposed to the Batman movies, but my, my love for Batman stems from that series. Um, and more recently, what's what's kind of cool to talk about, and I want to, we'll talk about it later, is I, I uh, only got into the graphic novels and stuff later. Arkham was one of my first purchases, and it just stuck with me ever since then. Uh, mm-hmm. I've read a few since then, but none had the same sort of impact that that this one did on me as a as a teenager. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Gracie, that's that's Gracie's history with Batman. Uh, but yeah, so Amadeus Arkham. Let's let's why don't we talk about Arkham? Why don't we break it down into sort of backstory? So we can talk about the Arkham story first. There there's parallels to each story. Yeah. They like cross reference each other because there's. Uh, one thing I will I will say right off the bat is I there's two there's some versions of this I have the 15th anniversary edition that actually has Grant Morrison's original script in the back of it where you can read his notes you can read like all the differences there was a lot he wrote that didn't make its way into the um, the the graphic novel uh, and some things that were he described in lavish detail that could be illustrated that Dave McKean uh, famously. Um, if you know uh, the Sandman graphic novels, you know Dave McKean did the cover art and a few, a lot of the illustrations for those. Uh, uh, as well as he's worked closely with Neil Gaiman on on things like Mister Punch. Um, uh, Dave McKean did everything. I think far even more impressionistically than um, uh, Grant Morrison intended. Because again, there's a lot of like sort of little like little things that didn't work their way in. And McKean, Dave McKean chose to make things, I think, even more surreal than even Grant Morrison was intending. But you know 
the interesting thing from the script is that McKean, uh, he knew Dave McKean was going to do the illustrations early on and gave him little like suggestions by name. You'll see throughout, Dave, what do you think of doing this bit in there? Um, to give one reference of something that didn't make its way into the final script, and since you mentioned your love of Robin, uh, say. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Grant Morrison had plans at one point to work Robin into the story. Dang it. He was going to be... Uh, with Commissioner Gordon, and they were going to be helping Batman from the outside. Mm -hmm. uh, Robin was going to be actually doing detective work and figuring out how to, uh, uh, you know, you know the, the history of the house and on Amadeus Arkham, and it was going to tie in a little more. Mm -hmm. uh, Dave McKean flat out refused to draw Robin because he said he felt like his artistic integrity had already been compromised by drawing Batman. Uh. So he wasn't going to draw, as Joker once described it, a cute, long-legged boy in green shorts. <laughs> um, I do feel said, like reading this, I didn't miss Robin. I think story-wise it was good to cut him out. Mm-hmm. So I think so, too. Although one interesting note uh, is Grant Morrison actually mentions that he has that line about, uh, you know, how's the boy wonder started shaving yet? He says that to Batman at one point. <laughs> and uh, he said around this time, and this is like in the the, you know, the late 80s that this came out. He said around this time, DC voters might have uh, voted to kill off Robin, but the line should still be relevant no matter what. And I thought, oh, yeah, this is mm -hmm. when they killed Jason Todd off. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, but um, I'm 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 sorry. But yeah, the the point I was gonna make though is like the the two, the the whole thing. It, we can do it very. You could describe it in a linear fashion. But the whole thing is a twisting metaphor of different things that Grant Morrison wanted to get across. He makes it clear right from the get go, and I'll even go back to the notes and reference this uh, that he's trying to really get across certain symbols and certain ideas. And the story references them in various ways again and again and again. And there's a very just sort of magical realism logic to the whole thing. So keep that in mind, even as we maybe look at each of the backstories um, in particular. Um, and I thought, like, kind of like you were saying, Kayla, we could start with the, the story of Amadeus Arkham. Yeah, because I'm not going to lie. Uh, for me, like, uh, I mean, I know you adored the book. I thought it was good. I didn't think it was great. Mm -hmm. um, but the main reason why is... It feels like it doesn't want to be a Batman story. It feels like it want it wants to be its own story, or at least that's what I it came across to me. Um, so when it did come to the parts with like uh, Amadeus Arkham, those were the fascinating parts because it's like the imagery and what he's going through and the decisions he makes. It's its own thing. Mm -hmm. But then when it gets to the Batman part, it feels like it, it just. There's the story is very eh, I guess. I I don't, I don't know. Like uh, for me, the like for example, like you look at Harvey Dent, and I mean that's fascinating that how they're trying to fix him, and you realize oh this asylum is not doing a good job, even though you can kind of get it. But if you look at how Two Face looks, it's not it's creepy. He's really he's creepy, but it's still it's not as strong as like I don't know when I, I went with Amadeus Ar Arkham, I'm like. Wow, this is fascinating. I feel like uh, this is like an unreliable narrator. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh my God, he's like wearing his mother's clothing. And you realize, oh my God, uh, spoilers. He's like, he kills his, his, his mom who has mental issues. Like, oh my gosh. It, it's just a, a great twist and turn where, and I think when you mentioned like how Dave McKean says he he's ruining his uh, integrity just by drawing Batman. I feel like maybe that could be kind of why, <laughs> like that the the Batman's parts aren't as I don't know. That's just my opinion. Oh, Batman! Batman is very in in his parts. Batman is just kind of a shadow. He's oh, just yeah. there. He's he doesn't have any real form or substance to him. He's just he's he's a very like mythic figure. He doesn't really have a huge amount of personality, except for the points where he gets riled up by other characters like the Joker. Like again, the part that sticks out to me is when the Joker like grabs his ass, mm -hmm. which and and that's the one time we see Batman really break. And uh, there's a really cool note about that. And uh, Grant Morrison says that the way he imagined Batman in this is that here's someone who's built himself up, up as this fortress, but deep down he's still a you know a psychologically damaged little boy. 
Mm-hmm. And this one is he's a, he's someone who was stunted to the point where he doesn't understand normal human relationships and cu- including sexual relationships. So when Joker does that, it literally collapses, like go- goes through all his defenses and strikes to a core. And that's and that's the way Joker gets to Batman is by playing this like, you know, this very sexual character because he's he's studied by Batman psychology. That much. Again, Grant Morrison's ideas. And it's interesting. I do. I do. Well, I mean, we can talk about that when we get to the batman part but i do want to talk about arkham okay because i agree with you i agree to the extent that i think that i think parts of the batman story are cool but they're not like there's parts of it it, it feels like it just kind of peters off at the end mm-hmm. like batman mm-hmm. just kind of does some stuff and then like stuff happens i am much more interested in how it's couched in the journal of amadeus arkham and that sometimes parts of arkham's story bleed into a uh, batman story so with Arkham, it feels very true. It, it, it feels Lovecraftian a little bit, right? Like mm-hmm. the whole the whole idea of madness and the eeriness of the house. I love how haunting it all feels. You know, my dreams are haunted by beating wings, and uh, off in the distance, a dog barks incessantly through the night. And it's all it's 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 cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the the horror is strongest there too. Like, honestly, the mm-hmm. horror of uh, the book. I mean, when you find out what happened to his wife and daughter, the way he takes revenge on uh, Mad Dog Hawkins by, you know, uh, killing him through electroshock therapy, mm-hmm. claiming it's an accident. And then later learning that he um, he was the one who, who killed his mother and then repressed the memory and, you know, believed believed genuinely to himself that she had committed suicide. And then fo- fully starts believing in the the logic that she had about the spirit of the bat and like all these other things about the asylum and how he he ultimately like spoilers ultimately dies in, in a, you know an inmate in his own asylum having scratched a binding spell into the floor of his cell with his own nails. It's legit. <laughs> yeah, I think I have to agree with the whole the part with um, Amadeus' story being the stronger story in this. I do like the Batman half of the story because I've always the reason one one of the reasons I really enjoy all of the Batman villains is because they're all in different ways reflections of his character, mm-hmm. and that's what I think just makes the Batman story so much more interesting to me than like say Superman. <laughs> yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. Could you imagine if this was this okay. was a Superman story? Come <laughs> to the like, asylum, Clark. Clark blows it up. So what <laughs> I was expecting was like Batman meeting different members of the entourage and just like getting glimpses of like how each of them reflect back to him. And I don't feel like I got enough of that. Yeah. Same. And then like so I was like, okay, well, when we got to Two Face and they're talking about how they're treating him, I was like, okay, well, that's actually really cool and interesting. Am I gonna get more of that with like the other villains? No. And then like we get three panels of Scarecrow. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah that was. Uh, I, I, uh, two out of ten. Not enough Scarecrow. Well, because he's <laughs> like, okay, let's pretend that the hour is up, and I'm expecting like, oh my gosh, the villains are gonna go out and get him, and I'm like, nothing. Nothing you know, happens. The only person who goes after who he gets in a fight with really is Killer Croc. That's mm-hmm. it. That's it. There's not really much to it. It's just like he pushes. He pushes Doctor Destiny down a staircase. <laughs> well, it's kind of like the whole. Well, That's like it. Well, here's the thing. the The premise is that it says the villains have run loose and they have taken over the asylum. That's a frightening in its own right. Why is it when he gets there, everything, everybody's also relaxed and chill? It's kind of. I mean, they they want to go after him, but Joker keeps insisting that they have to do this his way. And no, when, no, no, but like, right? okay, Batman goes in there, like he basically is just staying there. Yeah, and then so are the other people. But they're so, it doesn't seem like they're scared or anything. It's just like, nah, we're here. I I don't feel the fear. Like, it's like these are like insane, these are like supposedly insane men who've taken over an asylum. Like, there should be like much more fear going on right Right. now. And it feels just like, no, this is just it. This is what's happened. And Joker's like, yeah. Hostage are gone. Have fun. I'm like, wow. This-, this is the 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 frustrating part. I because I I feel you there is, and I'm I'm, I'm with you. Also, said we get little snap snippets of different villains, but you almost wouldn't know some of them are there. Did you realize Tweedledee and Tweedledum were in the story? What? No. No. Yeah. Where? They are. They pop up in one panel in the background, and you see them together. But and I only know this because I read the notes. Those two characters who 
are wearing helmets and they have um, like a wire between them. Oh my That's God. Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Did you know Black Mask shows up in the story? No. No, because he's barely, you can hardly see him in one panel. Uh, Dave very lavishly sets out certain scenes. And this is, I think there are strengths and weaknesses to Dave McKean's work here. The strength is that it really makes everything seem, seem a lot more horrific and surreal, mm-hmm. but you lose certain details. The way the um, the opening scene of the asylum is described, when when Joker throws open the doors and lets Batman in, it's way more. It shows way more pandemonium. There's like there's like confetti and balloons and blood splashed everywhere. Uh, the, there's a figure that's hanging above the a, wet, a tiered wedding cake. Uh, it's a nurse with her throat cut, but she's hanging from the ceiling. But she's hanging in such a way that it devokes the hanged man card from the tarot. Mm-hmm. There's a in that you get that same figure in the Dave McKean illustrations, but it's a vague, almost looks like just part of the asylum architecture figure of a hanged man with no cut throat, like it's just part of the architecture. And I'm like, I don't know, like he describes you seeing people in the background who are being, you know, a, you know, attacked by inmates. And you don't get that in no. McKean's but, but, illustrations. But then his artwork lends amazingly well. It so the, does. The, to the Arkham part, to Arkham or Amadeus Arkham story. It really does. It's just that's I, I almost feel like this shouldn't have been a Batman story. Like, I think you, what happened was because it sounds like Dave didn't want to draw a Batman story, so which is why yeah. we get why it, why his art works so well for Amadeus' story because he could disassociate enough from Batman to I think you know connect with that. Whereas like all the Batman stuff, he's like I don't want to draw Batman. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I do. What do you? Wh- I do have. I do love the way he interpreted some of the villains, though. Yeah, I was gonna say. What do you think of his interpretation? of the of the villains because like i don't know i i really like his joker i do like his joker it's like Mm -hmm. i'll give him that the joker is really well done here i feel like he he really wanted to just push the boundaries on joker to make it his own thing Mm-hmm. He definitely did. It is it is horrifying, and it's like um, this might go into like one of the questions that I think Alex asked about like the different styles. If you compare Joker to some of the other characters, he is really fucking out there. Yeah. <laughs> um. Like he he just feels just like looking at him, you feel insane. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best way I can describe him. He he it does. He looks like the cover has Joker's face looming over the door of Arkham Asylum, like a superimposed, and it's 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 frightening. Uh, on your cover. Well, on my cover, yes. I'm sorry. Um, but like then other characters, like Kayla mentioned, uh, Two Face. Like I feel like Two Face was like when I when you first see him, I didn't even recognize him as Two Face. Same. Right. It, for for. I, what the story is going for like the fact that he is turned into this kind of meek man man who can't even decide if he has to go to the bathroom or not uh and how then that's all because of the um psych uh, the psychiatrist's fault at arkham yeah i i like it for that but then it's again Mm -hmm. this is already set in a mythos so it's kind of but 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 you have to, but uh, one of the things that's cool about Batman is you can play with that mythos a lot. I love the idea that Two-Face got broken down this far and actually Two-Face the moments they have with Two-Face are some of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Cuz I love the bit where he's looking at the moon and he goes the moon you know the moon's a coin you know God flipped it and it landed uh, scar side up, so it made the world. And I love how Professor Milo's like, God, I can't have a decent conversation with anyone in this place <laughs> in response. Um, and then, of course, at the end, Two-Face's coin is what ultimately decides Batman's fate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love and, and Two-Face gets the last moment where he gets that, that direct Lewis Carroll quote, you know, who cares for you? You're nothing but a pack of cards and knocks the, the house of cards he's been building up over which mm-hmm. i thought was really cool mm-hmm. but in, in the same breath it's like the stakes don't feel as high in the batman story there's and- a lot of spooky stuff and great symbology but yeah the stakes don't feel super high once batman gets in there and the yeah. hostages at least not up until like eh, you there's there's tension in there for the the fight with croc but yeah, yeah. croc i like how croc looks less like a croc and more like a dragon mm-hmm. like obviously there's a parallel because there's the statue of saint michael that Batman takes the spear of and stabs Killer Croc. Like, whoa, Batman, what? Mm-hmm. 
Are you the Michael Keaton Batman? Do you just kill people pell-mell? <laughs> well, that's what I was kind of thought was going to start happening, that he was going to just start, like, killing some of the villains, especially when he, like, pushed <laughs> the poor guy down the stairs. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, he pushed Dr. Destiny down the stairs, and I thought, wow, this Batman is way harsher than a lot of other mm-hmm. Batman. Uh, like how yeah. I mentioned, I thought he would be like he'd he'd end up like seeing himself reflected in the in these villains. Like maybe he would go. Well, he is mad. We're just gonna say Batman. Yeah, because he, he would. He would. That... I don't know. Uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, succumb to his madness and like and like want not wanting to acknowledge that these villains are a part of him. He like starts to off them. Yeah, that's what I thought was gonna happen. I thought that would have been fun. That would have been fun. Um, I do want to, I mean, I know we're going to get back to some of the villains, like, especially Joker a little later. I have a really juicy tidbit from the notes that from Grant Morrison's notes about Joker, a way he was going to do Joker that ultimately DC shot down. He's gay. No, 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 no. It's not even that. Uh, Joker was originally going to be dressed as Madonna. Ooh. (laughs) Not even like the Madonna, like the Virgin, like, you know, like the Virgin Mary. I mean, like the artist Madonna. That's (laughs) totally what I thought you meant. And I thought that too. Which was it was him being really sly and and in the notes it even says like I was alluding to a the fact that mothers the, the mother figure is part of my weird like symbolic stuff in this story mothers you know come up a lot so mm-hmm. having Joker as a Madonna is both is is a way to to continue to play with that idea but also um to fuck to to fucking like just have him Joker lampoon a popular figure, which is something he would do. <laughs> yeah. So he was originally going to straight up be wearing like the, you know, the, the cone tits and everything. That would have been me. I, Although, doesn't it get hinted that Joker might be not gay, but like bisexual? Well, Joker is just a Joker is, is just or a or Joker. Joker yeah. is just just a just a, a sexual deviant predator anyway. He's a sexual de- he's a deviant. He stands for all forms of deviancy. I love when um the part where um he's uh where where Batman's talking to, you know, Do- Dr. Adams and she says, "We actually believe the Joker reinvents himself every day. He might have a form of super sanity." I mean, just yesterday, he thought he was the uh, uh, Baron Gee, the Voodoo Loa, and I was like, "Whoa, okay." Like that's an re- interesting way to to interpret Joker in this. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think what other villains. So we we have like three panels of Scarecrow who doesn't do anything. Uh, Clayface is a basically a decomposing man um, who shows up at one point because that is Clayface. Um, there is a little bit with Mad Hatter, which mm-hmm. makes sense. There's so much Lewis Carroll in this story. If he didn't pop up, I'd be shocked. Uh, they they really strongly hint at the him you know the pedophile angle with him. Yeah, uh, there was some trying to I'm trying to word this. Uh, I think I, I I don't know when like when I think of the Batman portion, I'm kind of disappointed by it. Uh, which is why like when I think of the Amadeus Arkham portion, it's just so good. Like the store, like the artwork works so well with it. I like that. Even not everything's shown with the words. It's shown with the uh, uh, with like imagery and stuff like that. And it's just beautiful. Um, the one good thing, I mean, I think Joker is probably the best part of the Arkham story. Like, I love the fact that his, the writing for how he speaks is just so manic and it's in red and it's different. Although uh, how I th- maybe I'm wrong, but like uh, the writing for each person is different. Yeah, actually, mm-hmm. for a lot of. For a lot of the characters, it is Batman has like that's that's one thing I really like is uh you know Arkham's journals are all you know just illustrations or all the text. Batman has black word balloons with white text. Mm-hmm. Joker's is like red letters just splashed across the the panels. Um, Clayface's boxes look all rotten and festering. Um, I think uh, I think uh, uh, there's something there's like a whimsical quality to um, I'm looking at it now. Well. I will be looking at it in just a second. Yeah, because it's handy having the book right in front of you. Um, oh, like the weird, like fl- the weird, like almost childlike text or whimsical text. That's for Mad Hatter. Uh, Maxi Zeus has the blue word balloons with um, kind of gr- uh, Greek characters mm-hmm. for the text. That was interesting. That, I do like that part of it a lot too. Um, gosh, there's so much. I. Yeah. So anyway, I, I don't know where to start or where to continue to. Honestly, you know what? I'll tell you what. Let me let me let me tell you about. Let me tell you in, in Grant Morrison's own words, real quick here, what he was kind of some of the symbols he was aiming for in here. I will say for an origin thing, he 
He, um, someone actually did come up with Arkham's story before he did, and he was just interpreting it. Uh, it was originally part of Justice League of America, and it was um, written by um, uh, Len Wein, who, according to him, had written a few short and evocative paragraphs on the history of Arkham Asylum. And it was here I learned of poor Amadeus Arkham, the hospital's founder, whose wife and daughter had been murdered by Martin Mad Dog Hawkins. In Wine's and um, in, in, in Wine's Prissy, uh, Arkham's madness is described as a result of the stock market crash of 1929. It occurred to me that having one's wife and daughter slaughtered by a man named Mad Dog might have been sufficient cause for a nervous breakdown. So I decided to explore and expand on the life of a throwaway character. From that, the seed of the story became a serious house on serious earth. Which, in all honesty, I wrote to impress Jim Clements. <laughs> but he talks a lot about, um, like, the symbols he's kind of aiming for. Uh, the moon, the shadow, the mirror, the tower, and the mother's son are all factor a lot into this story. Um, the first, like, the first panel is the tarot card of the moon. The moon, in particular, is the big one um, that you see a lot. It's supposed to be, like, sort of the the... Like the, it's representing the journey to an afterworld. You could spend a long time talking about the symbolic logic of this, and you could tell Grant Morrison was just having a blast doing all this nonsense. And I'm sure Dave McKean was too when he wasn't having to draw Batman, because he seems like he enjoys himself when he's drawing the villains. And I don't think his Batman is terrible, his illustration of Batman, but yeah. Dave, I'm sorry. I feel like Batman got the least amount of thought. If it was just a story about the villains, even, it would have been a really compelling story. Mm -hmm. Even if Batman was just kind of there, like, at the end or something, you know? I do like that, for the most part, when we see Batman, he is that that dark silhouette. But then when we we get glimpses into, like, his vulnerability, like, when uh, they're playing that word association game. Yeah. When we get, when we look at his face, like, when we get to see details of his face, you don't even see a mask you just see the shadows of his face right that is kind of weird yeah so he feels very exposed which he is so i did like those those details details when it came to like the different panels with batman oh definitely um what did you think of the bit where it's like it like there's a bit in there where he um he he's going through the asylum like he's first gotten this his start after the joker tells him to run and he he's thinking back to the night his parents were killed Mm -hmm. and um he comes upon the same like convex mirror that um, Arkham did, the one that makes his face look all distorted. He punches the mirror and then proceeds to stab his own hand with the glass. Like that that's crazy. <laughs> that that is not a good idea, Batman. Like someone will like trace your DNA and find out who you are that way. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if anyone here has the common sense enough to do that. I'm sure there's like bloods everywhere. Yeah, it's just part of the general blood mixed up all over the all over the darn asylum um what do you make of the um the like toward the ending you so so let's let's talk about a little bit about the ending real quick the ending is um it gets revealed that um uh the current warden of the asylum uh cavendish mm-hmm. um cavendish uh found arkham's journal and art the the spell in arkham's like the spell scratched arkham's cell mm-hmm. and consider and connected it all and thought oh my god he was he really was alluding to the batman that's what you know this bat that he he this symbolic bat that he was so afraid of was the batman and he proceeded to like buy into the whole thing and was pretty much the one who orchestrated all of it um he's even wearing a wedding dress as he's threatening uh, dr adams um he ultimately dies but um mainly by his own hand, so... Um, I like that as a connection to the Batman's story. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of how it, how the two connect, that actually was a really good connection, and I did like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I even like the fact that Cavendish uh, becomes so obsessed with Arkham's story that he himself begins to evoke it by wearing a wedding dress, similar to how um, Amadeus wears his mom's. Mm-hmm. Wedding uh, was it his his mom's wedding dress, right? Yeah, he wears his mother's wedding dress. Okay, yeah. He like doesn't he put it on like right after his family's killed? Yeah, mm-hmm. right after. So in the original, make make of this what you will. This didn't make its way in the comic. It's implied. It's implied, but it was more strongly overted in the, his original script. Uh, it was implied that that you know the moment he snapped, he puts on the dress and consu- uh, proceed in the original story proceeded to ritualistically cannibalize the bodies of his wife and daughter while wearing the wedding dress. That got dropped, but it's implied that it could have happened in the graphic novel. Why that? I why would he do? What's the symbology there? Well, if you want to 
talk about something else while I look it up, his rationale, uh, I'm going to go to the notes again because that's always helpful. Because, uh, like, I'm trying to figure out, I mean, I can't, I like the idea, like, oh, he decided to start Arkham because his mom uh, was insane. And then, uh, but it doesn't click that um, insanity itself can be hereditary and that he himself, too, suffers from this as well. Mm-hmm. When we get to that point in the journal where that's being described, and then we learn that Cavendish was the one who released the prisoners, or the patients, I mean. Um, <laughs> I thought they were going to reveal, like, oh, he's a descendant of the Arkham family or whatever. It's like, no, I didn't go there. Oh. But I do want to say, like, I don't think Cavendish is wearing a wedding dress. He still has his coat, but there's this overlay of the dress, and it does, it does the pattern does fade up into, like, where he's dying. I feel like that represents more like he's been possessed by this madness that possessed Oh. Mm. By the same madness. That's the way I read it. That's actually really cool. I mean, I, I looking at it again, yeah, I uh yeah, I can actually Oh, you're right. Let you're totally look. right. Because because by the time he's actually like, you know, fighting back against Batman. Mm-hmm. You just kind of see just... the faint floral. Plus like the couple pages before that, he's not wearing mm-hmm. that. There's still, it, what's interesting is the parallel back because he's wearing the stained, you see just panels of the stained lace mm-hmm. after uh, Dr. Adams like slits his throat with a razor, which is like also creep, uh, also fun and symbolic because of how um, Arkham killed his mother. Mm-hmm. With the razor and everything, like just that's Cavendish. why I feel like that's why I feel it's like oh he was possessed by Arkham in some way because that's how Arkham killed his mother and that's kind of like where the start of his madness came from that was then triggered by the death of his family and so here's here's the end where someone kills him. Right, it's good. I um I think the part that confuses me a little bit is um. Arkham was right. Sometimes it's only madness that makes us what we are, or destiny, perhaps. Batman even says, but there's a bit where Batman takes an axe and starts chopping at pipes, wires, stuff. I thought that was him just like carving a way out for the for the villains, being like. I think so. Has has what I'm wondering is has Batman when he's doing this has he kind of bought because of everything he's seen has he kind of bought into the the weird symbolic. Um, ritualistic nature of the way people interpret reality in this place is he now working kind of with the mindset of the inmates because they could just leave at any time honestly but they don't he says you're free you're all free and the joker responds oh we know that already what about you and they don't even leave mm-hmm. actually uh so um i, I actually got a couple questions uh i think uh, if, and they come from slime beast and I, I think they're supposed to be jokes, kind of jokes, but there's a little, of course, there is a method to this madness. So, <laughs> as anything, uh, once you. Uh, <laughs> oh, before we get into that, I found the bit, by the way. Oh, go for it. Um, so, um, uh, page 35. This was originally a shamanic, a shamanic cannibal sequence of which only vague hint suggestions and shadowy threats remain. The original line was. Later in the lavatory, choking and sobbing, I bring up the half-digested remains of my family. The cannibal scene was intended to show Arkham reverting to hardwired primordial behavior patterns as his psyche disintegrates. Early tribal societies often consume parts of their dead as a way of retaining something of the spiritual essence of the departed. That in itself could also connect with um, the, like, in a psychology manner, too. Like how Freud says, like, uh, as that whole... uh Oh God! What is it? Um, uh, Oedipo- uh, like the Oedipus syndrome or whatever. Yeah. Uh, that uh, every young boy has. Right. And then that connects with him going to his that whole primal mindset and why he would wear his mother's wedding dress as well. Mm-hmm. The the Freudian and even Jungian like philosophies uh, Grant Morrison has stated were very big influences for how he, what were other things he wanted to throw into the story and uh, for that matter. Um, I, there was something. Oh gosh, what was I gonna say? Uh, I lost it. My brain it 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 farted. Um, <laughs> um, oh, and there there was actually other things too that are that are interesting. Like like the hints of what's gonna come. Like the dog that barks ceaselessly through the night is maybe a little bit of foreshadowing of Mad Dog Hawkins. And you know the part where um, they go into the asylum and it's just a cavalcade of different word balloons with things like millions of robins, which is, a, by the way, a refer- direct reference to Dave Lynch, David Lynch's uh, Blue Velvet, oh. according to the notes. Uh, one of the lines I notice is, oh, uh, daddy, make him stop. He's hurting me. The dog's hurting me. Oh, God. <laughs> um, oh, God. <laughs> 
And uh, according to Grant Morrison, he said, yeah, no, that was supposed to be sort of a ghostly echo in the cacophony of um, of uh, Arkham's daughter. <laughs> anyway, Slime Beast. Uh, okay, he, All right, do we want to get to... Sorry, I'm just... I really... See, here's the thing. Confusing and, and with, with, you know, fair criticism, I love this because it is surreal. I mean, that you're talking to someone who really loves Paranoia Agent because it is a surreal, mm-hmm. thought-provoking series. I and love, that's what I love about this, too. See, see I love surreal stuff, too. I, I, I'm i a huge fan of the surreal. That's why I love the Amadeus Arkham stuff. Yeah. Because that's the most surreal part of it. And the part where, where the Batman stuff gets really good is when the Arkham stuff bleeds into it. Exactly. So, so Dave McKean's artwork is very surreal. It's like, I love and it. it's great. I just don't think it fits with the Batman story. Right. Um, but uh, so do we want to get into questions or do we have any? Any any thoughts you want to add to that one, Sade, or any of that? I think McKean's art was perfect for this type of story if mm-hmm. he had wanted to draw that. <laughs> <laughs> if he wanted to have drawn it. I mean, again... I'm, I, he said he said he was willing to draw Batman, but he felt like it sacrifices artistic integrity, according to Grant Morrison, according to his notes. Uh, that could have been a joke, but he was definitely not willing to draw Robin, which I told him. <laughs> um, isn't it nice that Robin got spared any of the the horror that was this uh, graphic novel, though? <laughs> Thank God. So so for questions, uh, Slimies. Again, I think this is a, uh, a couple of these are jokingly. But there is one that... He's always deadly serious. What are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. But there's one that... Um, I, it's slightly a joke, but I think there's, again, a bit method to it. Well, the first one is, should there be an Arkham, As- Arkham Asylum of graveyards for infamous criminals people would dig up or make touristy trips to visit? <laughs> I mean, isn't there already? Exactly. So uh, there's probably several cemeteries like that. You think of anywhere they bury a famous person. Oh yeah. But famous criminal—that would be interesting. Uh, if, if, you know, an Arkham cemetery would just be where Batman goes and kill. If Batman killed people, it's where they'd end up. And then. Uh, the- but then if they keep coming back as zombies, <laughs> that Arkham, that cemetery, Arkham Asylum, Arkham Cemetery needs to be shut down. Everybody they bury there just comes back. <laughs> they never die. I, it doesn't even matter if I kill them; they just return. Uh, the second one is alternately, um, if Arkham were real, would you need to have a mental issue to want to work there? And actually, I feel like you would. <laughs> and actually, there is a there is something there. By the way, I feel like like a lot of the people. Uh, psychologists or psychiatrists that do end up working there do tend to be have a mental issue. Do, or do we want to do? Well, I mean, look at Doctor, look at Doctor Cavendish. Well, Doctor Cavendish, but then Harley Quinn eventually. And uh, so, Jonathan Crane, who, exactly. who did work as a doctor at Arkham for a while and before he became the Scarecrow. Scarecrow. Yeah, so there is kind of a. I feel like. I'm not sure if maybe uh, you have to be have a mental issue to go in there, but I think once you go into Arkham, you start to develop some mental issues. Well, I mean, and I think that's one of the things I like most about this story is it gives the, it, the unreliable narrator Amadeus Arkham is there could be something either hereditary or even influential. It could be something hereditary in his line about madness that he's scared of. What if there's actually some baleful influence of the the house and the the Arkham like the Arkham property itself? much in the same way that, like, you know, some haunted houses are supposed to, like, influence people. Like, there's actually something about the well, place that, that fosters, um, that fosters the, um, these, these delusions and these, these... Well, look at the title. A Serious House on Serious Earth. Exactly. There's a, there's a reason it has that. Um, oh, there is one other thing I want to talk about. Maybe if you get past the questions, and that's at the very end, the very, very end of the book, when you just have the sort of little quote profile things that are like for each but person in their own text. You got Batman. They're sort of almost like dossiers, but they're not really. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like those. Um, but uh, I'm sorry. Before I got sidetracked. Um, oh, here we go. The Serious House and Serious Earth. Um, the subtitle was taken from Philip Larkin's poem, Church Going. That's all I see on it, the tagline of Serious House on Serious Earth. Oh. So it's worth looking up, I guess. So, uh, say, do you have anything to add to that part? With what people who go there, who work there, decide to work there, are, are somewhat crazy. I think yeah. there is, yeah, if go we're going to look at it that way, I would say, like, everyone, you know, if we go with everyone here is mad. Everyone has the potential for a little crazy, and just being in an environment like Arkham would definitely... Help that fester. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That's the way I kind of see it. I mean, I've long said that Arkham does not seem like 
an environment conducive to anyone's mental health, mm-hmm. uh, whether they're healthy or or do have some sort of uh, mental disorder. Like, um, it just seems like you can't. Like, Arkham is just a terrible place. It is a sinkhole of evil. Um, it um, it fosters madness. Um, it did. It, it claimed the lives of of the people who built it ultimately and it's just going to keep taking other people um the uh maybe i'm losing my mind i keep wanting to go on with certain things and then i just i feel like i i've been derailing a lot and i don't know why i, I, I think it's there's 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 a lot you want to say about this and it's hard to to stick to one train of thought maybe <laughs> it, yeah exactly it's really all over the place like there's so much nonsense i'm like oh i want to talk about the symbology of the moon or the the pisces and the clownfish and the oh what about that tunnel of love that keeps coming up uh in from arkham's nightmares it's actually based on an incident from grant morrison's youth where he was in a he was in a fun house and he was afraid to go into the tunnel of love because even as a kid he had ideas about how about sex and venereal disease that made him not want to go through that curtain and he had to his dad had to come and take him out which is he's just verbatim retelling that as a seven-year-old Amadeus Arkham um okay so I actually looked up a church going like what the line is yeah um so uh, a serious house on serious earth kind of represents a church this is how the line goes a serious house on serious earth it is in whose blent air are all our compulsions meet, are recognized and robed as destinies. And, Ooh. and that much can never be obsolete, since someone will forever be surprising, a hunger in themselves to be more serious, a gravitating with it to this ground. So, um, I, from what it, I'm looking at some ideas, of, but the idea is uh, churches um, itself serve as like, there's something important uh, because it ser- it uh, serves a need that we need, or uh, it satisfies a hunger within ourselves. And I feel like that actually kind of corresponds with Arkham Asylum. That not that it satisfies a hunger in itself, but like it kind of serves like as a place where our like our compul like it like people do serve their compulsions or go with their compulsions. Right, and it's interesting because like there's sort of a almost there's several like almost. Um, religious and 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 metaphysical um are and um mythological references that keep popping up within arkham i mean heck they they surround the someone surrounded the entire um the entire asylum with a ring of salt to try and keep the batman in (laughs) which i thought was another really cool detail um what other questions so we got alex hatsberger asked a couple questions hi alex uh David McKean's artwork varies wildly in this comic, from surreal and horrific imagery to mundane, realistic comic-style drawings, even into mixed media. Do you think that aids the story or distracts from it? Um, I th- we, we did touch on it a little bit earlier. In some cases, I feel like some scenes are confusing, mm-hmm. and others are, are abundantly are conf- as confusing as they need to be. I think it's a bit of both. In just like there were some pages where my eye wanted to travel across the whole book, but it was it was supposed to go down the page. Same, I had that same feel so too. I could be like, wait, reading this wrong, go back. But I do like how like the different styles were when we when we get to see Gordon, he's very he's in that very realistic style, and then when we go into the asylum and we see Joker, and he's so. Like I said earlier, out there, I think it for that represents like where in reality different people stand, uh huh, or where by reality oh. I mean like their their level of sanity where they stand. So what I mean, where so like Gordon, he's you know down to earth man. He knows what's up. He's got his shit together. And when <laughs> and when Batman is there, he's he's more grounded. He you know he's got that same style. But then when he goes into the asylum, he's this like eerie silhouette that almost like looks like like just like this ghoul of a shadow. And then obviously Joker is the most insane. So he's the most out there in design and style. Oh yeah. And then the fact that Batman is left in shadow can mm-hmm. be interpreted in many different ways. It's like, does that mean that... I, obviously, I think the reason he's left in shadow is because Dave McKean's like, oh, God, I don't want to draw Batman. But I think also it could be... I am benefit of doubt. I think it could be represented that we are not supposed to know what his sanity is, for sure. Like, is he really insane? Is he actually grounded in reality? So 
speaking of um oh no 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 go ahead uh, I, ju- I just uh, uh, i just no, i'm flipping through the book again and comparing it to the notes did anybody else notice that in the very beginning when um ma arkham's in bed did you notice the two puppies on either side of her no Actually, no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't notice that until the script told me to look for them. And now I see them. And that's supposed to be the reason those two wolfhounds are there. They're supposed to be. Um, oh, I didn't help- notice them. Oh, oh, I thought they were creepy. Aren't they? <laughs> it's sort of the idea that um, symbolically she's she's the Hecate of Arkham's life. Whereas uh, his daughter is the is the, you know, she like like his mother's the hag. His wife is the mother. And his daughter's the virgin. The three, the three women are the three witches, uh, the mm-hmm. three fates of his life. Oh. So, so the two dogs are supposed to help give the reader sort of a interpretation that that um, that that's going on. But you, but it's not a detail I picked up on until I looked for it. So. Yeah. Speaking of storylines, Grant Morrison is known for his far out comic storylines. Help, <laughs> help to redefine Arkham Asylum for the rest of the Batman series. What parts of the story do you think lend themselves to comic style continuity, and what do, which do you think are best left within this graphic novel? Uh, I mean, I guess the idea is which is which are better for like if these stories are best part of the Batman mythos. Or are we talking about what it, what it, what works in the sake for the sake of the greater Batman continuity, and which is best left in this story? Yeah, as it's just its own graphic novel story. Well, it's interesting to think how much this did impact the greater canon because um, this story, uh, mm-hmm. or at least Grant Morrison's interpretation of Arkham's backstory, became sort of the official backstory. Like from that point forward, people just talked about you know you know crazy Doctor Arkham. He, he did all this stuff, and then um, it gets referenced again and again. In um, I mean, we have we have the Arkham Asylum video game, and that and that was definitely influenced from uh, a serious house on serious Earth. There's a one of the Easter egg references in there. There's a there's a statue of um, there's a statue of Arkham's wife um, in a garden that you find in the video game, but the head is missing, mm-hmm. and the head is lying at the feet of the statue. And someone over the top of the uh, the plaque that has her name has scratched the words "Mad Dog" in the video game. Isn't that cool? <laughs> okay, yeah, I see that. Um, not to mention, you find um, throughout the game, you find. Um, um, like you can scan these different symbols on the floor that are just scratchings of symbols. And in the center of these like symbol etchings, you find a scarab beetle, the scarab, uh, being a prominent symbol that comes up a lot in some of the references here, mm-hmm. the scarab and the moon. And uh, every time you scan these, you get a ghostly voice that talks to you and describes itself as the spirit of the spirit of, of Amadeus Arkham. And you get, and you get, and you get this story kind of retold to you, but over time you hear the spirit talking about things that happened more in the present. And you start to wonder, is Arkham's ghost still here? Or is someone carrying on Arkham's work and just imitating him? Much like Dr. Cavendish. So definitely there's parts of this that carried forward into future media. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess this is more of an opinion one. What seems like it's, it's good to carry forward and what is best left here? I mean, the thing about Batman, as you mentioned before, with the mythos, it can be reinterpreted in so many different ways that it's hard for me to say, oh, this should be in its own thing and this should stay with the mythos. It just feels like like it, no matter like it's it's part of the mythos, no matter what. It's not exactly it, it's official. <laughs> I, I, but I think it's a, it's an interpretation. Just like there's so many Batman interpretations, uh, like there's so many interpretations of the Joker, for ex- for goodness sakes. Mm-hmm. I, I really like the idea that the Joker reinvents himself all the time. I do really like that. Yeah, I like and to it, see that again. I think like how David mentioned earlier when. Grant Morrison started this. It sounded like he he took to Amadeus's story first, and from there came the rest with involving Batman. So I think like if okay, putting Amadeus's story aside, this is just another interpretation of Batman and his and his entourage. Cool. Mm-hmm. It, it's always cool to see it from a new artist, from a new from a new writer. Right. But the but the stuff with Amadeus that he built on. I think because that is more original and it was adding to the wide, I'll just call the canon, I'll just call it canon. Because that was new and interesting, I think that's why that 
specifically is what latched people, other people latched onto, and we start to see an other interpretation. Right, that was the strongest part of the story. Definitely, and I think I think one thing that I that I glad didn't really carry forward is I, I and, this, and we have the animated series for the best to thank for this. Um, humanizing Batman more was not really a big part of this so mm-hmm. much. Batman is just kind of there; he's a figure. There's stuff about him that you know you get a little bit of his profile, but you could, but there's supposed to be moments where you see the human side of him leak out, and those are few and far between. But I kind of like that that by the end of the story, um, you know, he's giving the in a weird way, he's realized the best way to help these these people is to let them be themselves. Like when he gives Two Face back his coin mm-hmm. and says, "Let's let him decide my fate." He's he's just rebuilt what someone tried to tear down and rebuild in someone else's image. Um, that said, I kind of prefer the Batman of, um, I'm glad that, I mean, I think, I think the Batman in that case works best isolated in this story where it's very centered on the idea of embracing quote unquote madness, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I don't think this is necessarily the best Batman to carry forward canonically. I agree. I mean, Batman Batman wasn't as strong a part of this story right. as other ones. So, yeah. And so it, he didn't have... For me, it wasn't much of a personality, to be honest. Also, Clayface as a basically a decomposing, rotting man. That... Neat idea, but kind of glad it was only in this story for a bit of creepy symbolic stuff, you know? Creepy uh, imagery about him. Like, he was powerful, now he's decaying, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It'd be a little weird. It's like you can't really have uh, Clayface be... Well, you can't really... You can't have Clayface be a, someone you can fight unless he's, like... Now his whole interpretation is a disease... Like a disease carrier, a pestilent character. Um... Uh, in the next questions, uh, username 159 has a couple. Oh, cool. Uh, do you believe that Arkham is actually cursed or it's just convenient plot? Arkham, um, Arkham the person or Arkham the facility? I'm thinking the facility because I think it's the idea. Because remember, he like, scri- like, writes in like the curse in his own hand. Like his own fingernails. Mm-hmm. It is kind of, it, it is kind of, e- go ahead. It is kind of eerie that... His mom latched on to the vision of the bat, and the bat became a significant figure later on. Just, just saying. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think it. You know what? I don't want to. I don't think the idea is. Oh, it's cursed or it's not cursed. I think the ambiguity of it just adds to the creepiness of it. Yeah. I feel for me within the world of this comic, I don't say Arkham is so much cursed as it is haunted by not like by a spirit or a ghost, but just like by actual madness. Mm-hmm. And I say that because it, it goes, I think it goes from Arkham's mother to him and then through all of its patients over the years and to then Cavendish because we see him like possessed with that lace that's just how mm-hmm. i interpreted it so well I, I definitely i actually do really like that interpretation of it and i'm going to accept it as headcanon now okay <laughs> because yeah you're right i hadn't noticed that that it had faded in the other panels mm-hmm. that's I really like. cool <laughs> uh, were there nice were there any others from uh, from username there's one more thoughts on arkham's family collective insanity or amadeus arkham's in particular I mean, you mean well? They're the only two members of the Arkham family that are in that are well. Could that could, are? But I mean, Harriet wasn't uh, his daughter. Yeah, Harriet was. Harriet was fine. No, I mean, I mean, remember she? Uh, oh, wasn't she having nightmares? Yeah, she was having nightmares. So I think she might have been inherited. Uh, inherited too. I think that was a sign of it. Oh well, yeah, that's true. Because young Arkham suffered nightmares too, didn't he? Yes, he did. So I think it's. The idea, if she would have lived on, she probably would have suffered the same as Amadeus. I think I think that you can either interpret it as there was, you know, something in this family bloodline that made them susceptible to getting crazy, going crazy. And then you could also interpret it as like, okay, well, maybe it is something in the house, in the land. And because they lived there, I don't know. No, I mean that's. I mean, I mean either, it could be either way you want it to be. Exactly. That's the, that's the love. That's the uh, the beauty of ambiguity. There mm. doesn't have to be a major explanation. You could kind of interpret it however you most enjoy it. Honestly, um, yeah. I. Uh, I mean, regardless, I think I think um, Arkham certainly left a legacy behind him, and uh, maybe not the best one for the people of Gotham City, but like one of those necessary evils, huh? Mm-hmm. That said, like I started to mention earlier, what did you think of the little dossiers at the end? The little, like, character writings 
Um, I'm not going to lie. One of the things I did struggle with is trying to read them because <laughs> they're written in the handwriting style of the characters. And some of them are not that easy to read. That I did. I'm not gonna lie. I kind of struggled a little bit at times with Joker's writing. Mm-hmm. I did like, too. I actually, I was gonna complain about it, but then I was like, maybe I'll just keep that to myself. I no, do like I, like how we went into like uh, certain characters have their distinct lettering or bubbles. I think that's great, but also be mindful that like like Joker has a lot to say, and that font is not easy to read. Yes. Yeah. That that Especially, was the like on top of the art where in some places yeah. like, it's so busy and I get, I get here's the thing i i like it and i really and i don't like it at the same time like i like the fact that it is hectic and actually having it over that makes it more hectic to show his uh insanity but it's true he talks a lot and in a sense joker is a talker yeah i guess in the sense where like you can't you'll even if you would hear him clearly you would not understand him 100 percent because you can't understand the joker's madness i guess if you interpret it that way like oh i can't read because i just wouldn't understand him anyway fine mm-hmm. okay but i don't know it was maybe if it was like a tad yeah i i kind of i don't know i think it could have been a slight like clean enough that we could read it and that was the the thing with the dossiers like i tried to read some of them but then some of them, I'm like, this is too busy. I, 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 I'm struggling here. I managed to read them all eventually. It was a little bit of a struggle. Um, I didn't. Like, I mean, I, I kind of read them, but for the most part, I kind of looked at them as like as a visual piece instead of something to read. So I really like them. Yeah, as a visual piece, they look. It's yeah. great. I gotta say, Killer I, Crocs spoke volumes to me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Not- like if you just look at it as this like visual piece, it's like, damn, that is so cool i also love that like black mask is just yeah, pure that, black. <laughs> but the that batman and jokers has this piece of lace like across both of them that they share because they like they share their madness because they complete each other <laughs> they do they do i mean that's why joker is batman's greatest uh, villain it's because mm-hmm. they are they are mirrors of each other mm-hmm. and that's the, that was the idea behind joker because usually when you create an antagonist um the best antagonist tends to be someone who is a mirror of the protagonist right and it works he works very well in that way mm-hmm. it's like they're to, to go on a even more like batman kind of joke with two-face they're two sides of the same coin. I, I really, I really love. I and when you read them, I really love how like bizarre it is. Like, like Joker at first is trying to be almost like Shakespearean with what he's writing, mm-hmm. and he quickly devolves into writing things like, you know, uh, fill the churches with dirty thoughts, introduce honesty to the White House, write letters in dead languages to people you've just never met, paint filthy words on the foreheads of children, you know, things like that. Yeah, just it's great. It's great little insights into these these characters. Uh, Two Faces is really good. Mm-hmm. How it's like split down the middle mm-hmm. with contrasting words, meet, meaning at the bottom with God bless America. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Professor Milo one cracks me up. Just, um, I um, I don't know how many times I have to say this. I am sane. I am perfectly and completely <laughs> sane. I shouldn't be in here at all. There's been a terrible mistake. Um, I don't know much about Professor Milo, but according to Grant Morrison, he was a character that invented a... He was a, a throwaway Batman villain that showed up at one, one point that invented a uh, either a gas or a toxin that actually uh, caused insanity. Oh, this was like this is like Silver Age stuff. So oh, okay, he was he was affected by it himself and then sent to Arkham. The idea here is that it wore off and he's sane uh. again, but now he's stuck there. <laughs> that sucks. Oh, poor guy. Uh, I, mean, I mean, he he should be in prison, not not. Uh, <laughs> Well, and that brings up the endless debate. I'm a, a lot of these people shouldn't even be in Arkham. Some, most of them should be in uh, in Blackgate. Oh yeah, I've had we had this conversation on uh, undercooked analysis with uh, with Brian Ward and Doctor Andrea Lamendi of the Arkham Sessions podcast. Which, by the way, for any Batman fans out there, and especially if you grew up with the animated series like like we did, you probably would get a kick out of hearing them talk about. And psychoanalyze the characters of Batman the Animated Series. So that that's the Arkham Sessions podcast. Hey, we should, You're good friends of the show. We should have brought him on for this. I'm kind of... I <laughs> Maybe we should have, but, mm. you know. Oh, man. 
Um, I don't know. I don't. Uh, any any closing thoughts? Uh, none that I can think of. I mean, that's it for me. <laughs> I've, I've said my piece. So have I. Thank you for suggesting them, David. I enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. Thank you for agreeing to read it and being here to discuss it and share your thoughts. Um, I uh, I had a great time. I feel a little unhinged, though, well, just look, after all that. Luckily, we're uh, we're going to keep going with the insanity theme, which I'm excited. And, and, and buildings that might be cursed down to their yep. very foundation. I'm excited for this one. So uh, our next work of literature we're going to read is The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. I am so excited because I have seen the movie and I have seen the series I have not read the book, so I'm looking forward to this. I think this will be fun. Uh, so, uh, well, if we uh, stay in the dark any longer with just a candle, um, we might go a little mad ourselves. So, uh, uh, hey, if if people want to find our individual projects, oh, yeah, 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 we probably... where can they find us? Obviously, if you're listening to this, <laughs> you're already familiar, hopefully, with Creative Horror, the hub of this macabre wheel if you will. Many other podcasts exist there, including my own Midnight Marinara and the Undercooked Analysis podcast. Uh, You can also hear me and Kayla on another podcast, which Kayla is about to mention to you right now. Uh, This is on the Benview Network. We do a Disney podcast, or rather animation podcast, called Animusings, where we review a Walt Disney animated feature monthly in chronological order we just finished uh, the jungle book and our next one is the aristocats so it is a far cry from the horrible horrible dark material we have just read in this episode yeah <laughs> so if you want something a little more light-hearted you can listen to that sade's been on a few or no uh sade's been on one uh but sade's gonna be on another eventually soon. i don't remember eventually, which ones yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we can talk about that and i don't know what else <laughs> <laughs> but, but if you want to hear us, uh, hear we already we already talked about the three best characters anyway. Yes. Okay. So if you want to hear us, uh, if you enjoy hearing all three of us talk, you can hear us uh, talk more on three Caballeros episode. But if you're in the mood for more dark shit and in the mood for some murder, murder, <laughs> uh, the Witching Hour on CreativeHorror.com is coming back this month. I think it'll be the week after this episode goes out. Uh, And we're going to talk about Ted Bundy. And we're going to talk about people's murder plots that they have submitted to us. If you're hearing this the day of or a couple days after this episode goes out, you can email us your murder plot, your perfect murder plot, and it might still be in time for us to talk about it in the episode. But yeah, we're going to just talk a whole lot of murder to start our new year off. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, how else do you want to start the new year? So exactly with murder, yay! I'm so excited for this episode. <laughs> so like, start 2019 off right with murder. Dun dun dun! Man, this place is giving me the willies. I keep thinking I see scarab beetles and giant bats, and I hear a dog barking, and or maybe that's just Gracie snorting. <laughs> and there's this snorting. weird clown. There's this weird clown leering at me from the from the background. He keeps calling me sweet cheeks. We should probably leave. <laughs> you wanna blow that candle out? <gasps> I don't want to go among mad people, Alice remarked. Oh, you can't help that, said the cat. We're all mad here. I'm mad. You're mad. How do you know I'm mad? said Alice. Oh, you must be, said the cat. Or you wouldn't have come here. <laughs>